Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them, or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast, or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. So today we're going to be talking about Lex Friedman's podcast. Uh, Lex Friedman is a, uh, I believe he's a mathematician, but he does AI research for autonomous vehicles out of MIT. And his podcast is very similar to uh, what you would see on like Joe Rogan, for example. It's kind of that long form conversation podcast. And he has a wide variety of guests, mostly uh Science-related guests. Uh, he has a couple of occasionally political guests on, but I would say those are fairly rare. Um, but uh, his podcast can be anywhere from hour to sometimes three hours or more, uh, depending on the guest and what topics they're covering. And if you have seen Joe Rogan, uh, you kind of know what to expect. Uh, he's a very uh, even keel kind of guy. Very, uh, I would even say, soft-spoken to a degree. Um, but, uh, I, and I've been listening to him for a long time. That's where my first exposure was, was on Joe Rogan. And uh, I do thoroughly enjoy his podcast, uh, and the perspectives he has and the perspective of his guests. Uh, so whereas you, I think you, you were, you knew of him, but how familiar were, the, were you with his podcast uh, before this? I knew he had a podcast. I didn't know what the format I didn't know anything about the podcast I just knew he had one and again it was the same sort of thing I had heard him on Joe Rogan um thought he was a really interesting guest and I I hadn't checked out his podcast mainly because his delivery style is so soft like you said soft-spoken slightly monotone very kind of measured that I didn't know if I would enjoy him you know being the interviewer so much as being the interviewee because he's a very interesting dude he's got you know he, to your point, he's he works with MIT, he works at MIT, works out of MIT, I guess, um, which is also where he went to school. The guy is obviously clearly very intelligent. I mean, he's working in AI, he's working in autonomous vehicles, and he's kind of a what I would characterize as a deep thinker. Um, but that doesn't always make for an interesting podcast host. So I hadn't checked it out before now. But for the purpose of this podcast, I did I did listen to three episodes. Well, two and three quarter. I'm almost done with the third one because they are kind of long form. I listened to, on your recommendation, an episode where he had Michael Malice as a guest. I also listened to an episode with Joe Rogan as a guest because I thought it would be an interesting to kind of see the roles flipped. Uh, and then I'm listening to an episode with Sarah Seeger, who is an expert on, she's a researcher with... Uh, well, she's working on a NASA project. I don't think she works for NASA, but um, related to exoplanet research, which is super fascinating. So kind of a range of guest types there I figured would be a good place to start. My impression of him as a podcast host, at first I was kind of feeling justified in my skepticism because he is so sort of soft-spoken and a, a bit monotone in his delivery. Like his his opening intro and ad reads are very kind of flat for me but I think he's an excellent podcast host I was really surprised by this because well first of all he's incredibly likable I think he has to possibly be one of the sweetest people I've ever heard of that I don't know personally I don't know if you get this impression as well but just he's so positive about people in general he's he's like the ultimate optimist 
Uh, a lot of people say they're optimists, but they're not really. But this guy is a real optimist, which is interesting <laughs> because, you know, listening to the episode with him and Michael Malice, that's like oil and water. Lex is Mr. I want to just put more love into the world, which is interesting being that he's a mathematician. He's very logic based, you know, ones and zeros, as Michael Malice kind of joked about. But he is very focused on bringing positivity into the world. And I think once you start to get his personality, you're just like, my impression of him is just he's just the sweetest person ever. (laughs) Um, So he makes a very interesting podcast host. I I have a lot of thoughts about him specifically based on, you know, just like I said, the three episodes I've listened to. But what are what are your impressions of him? And like, obviously, you like the podcast because you recommended it. But what are your thoughts of him as a host? Well, I I think he's an excellent host. And even if he has people who just kind of go against his his mantra of I just want love in the world. Uh, he gets along with them really well. Uh, and, and to kind of give you an idea, I mean, because I, I usually consume his content on YouTube, so, you know, which you can see in video format, just kind of like somewhere like Joe Rogan. You have this guy who's very clean cut, always wears <laughs> a, you know, a suit with a white shirt and black tie. Men in black um, suit. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a men in black suit, you know, but he, but he's a hippie in, in a weird sort of way. So, because uh, the whole free love, love in the world kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And he's kind of calming to listen to as well because he's just so, I don't know, it's so even keel. And like I said, some people may actually find that boring where he's not, you know, super excitable or anything. Um, but I, I, what I find, the podcast I find most, most interesting is that when he gets people on who are kind of the intellectual level that he's at. And so, because he's had, you know, Elon Musk on, Richard Dawson, mm. uh, Richard Doc, Dawkins, jeez. Roger Penrose, uh, Stephen Wolfram, Sean Carroll. Uh, I mean, these are a lot of scientists uh, who are very, uh, well, Elon Musk is not a science, scientist, he's an engineer, but they, they operate a very high level in their uh, in their careers. He's able to actually talk with them, and I think in a, in a way that's engaging. Like I said, he's actually really good at the podcasting scene, or you know, conducting interviews and having that long-form conversation. I think that's kind of where he excels at. Which even then, I mean... On Rogan, when he's uh, a guest on Rogan, they they handle the long he handles a long form conversation very well. So, yeah, and I think if if he wasn't in the format he was in, he probably would struggle. I think a little bit, um, but I do feel that he he's just so interesting, and he has very a lot of very interesting guests on, and he's not hyperbolic at all, which is sometimes kind of refreshing. Um, unlike some other podcasts, like. You know, Jocko will. Uh, well, I wouldn't say Jocko is hyperbolic. He's just intense. Uh, <laughs> who do those kind of similar long form uh, uh, podcasts? So, in I, the episodes where he has people at his intellectual levels, I think are the ones that are best. Uh, but I mean, the only reason why I introduced I asked you to do Michael Malice one because Michael Malice is kind of the antithesis of uh, yes of Lex, <laughs> which I think was very interesting, and it, he handled he's, it well. He's the yin to his yang, <laughs> right? Because you know Michael Malice is you know he's an anarchist, like a true blue you know an, an, and a anarchist, troll. yeah, and, and a troll, and um, and to be honest, I mean. Lex is very, he's a very busy guy because one, he's doing the research alone, this AI research at MIT, that's like his day job, but he's doing the podcast, which is multiple hours long and very well edited. Sound quality is excellent. Uh, If you watch the video Mm -hmm. component, it's edited very well. Um, And I mean, he he does mixed martial arts. He's a musician. I mean, this guy is very busy. So runs. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just, 
he's one of those just hyper productive people i think uh and and again he has political guests on but the conversations aren't truly that political not like if he had like ben shapiro on or something like that um yeah for example he had chomsky on which chomsky most people don't realize that chomsky is a very famous linguist and in the study of language he's actually has some very interesting takes and you know interesting discussions on but it's just kind of overshadowed by his political stances but uh which chomsky has been a guest on lex freeman to show yeah i will say that i thought uh, i have so many thoughts so one of the things i think he's a better podcast host than guest like i like i said my impression of him on joe rogan was he's an interesting guy but i felt like oh he sounds a little monotone he seems but i think he really shines as a podcast host because he makes it about the guest. It's not about him. Mm-hmm. It's a little different from Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan tries that, but sometimes he's a little, you know, he's not the best interviewer. It's, he's it's, gotten better over the years. Especially if his guest doesn't agree with the idea of legalizing weed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I thought the interesting thing about Lex is that even though he is sort of that high functioning, super intelligent, because he, he reminds me a lot of Elon Musk, not in his Personality. I mean, Elon Musk is, you know, this edgy meme lord was. Lex is this kind of soft-spoken hippie, you know, let's put love in the world, but super intelligent scientist. But they both, one of the things I got out of him in his podcast was he felt, it felt like he sometimes struggles to, he gets frustrated with not finding the right words to express a thought or an idea. And I noticed that Musk, he doesn't express the frustration, but he will take long pauses while he, and I haven't listened to the, I want to listen to the episode where he's interviewing Musk because that has to be super interesting. But I've noticed that when Elon Musk is on a podcast, you know, he'll take a long time to formulate his thoughts before he speaks them. And whereas Lex, I've noticed he'll start talking and he'll stop and he'll go, and you could tell he's trying to think of the right, he's trying to come up with the right way to say it. And I, at first I thought, well, maybe it's because English is their second language or they're both multilingual, right? They both speak multiple languages. Not that they're not, I mean, you know, they're both completely fluent in English. There's, I don't have any doubt he's just looking for the right word, but he wants to express the idea in a specific way and he's struggling to get there. And so I thought it was interesting. I saw some parallels between him and Elon that way in just in terms of how he communicates. But the thing that's really interesting to me is listening to the episode with Sarah Seeger, which is one of those episodes where he's talking to a fellow kind of scientist, um, somebody who's also super intelligent and very, very detailed into their field. He never approaches the conversation in a way where, because I would think it's somebody his level, and granted, it's not a topic he's necessarily super familiarized with, right? Like, that's not his field of study. But he didn't, like, they were talking about um, Drake's equation, how she's done her own variation on this, and she was sort of explaining that. And I get the impression he understood that very quickly, but he took time to like break down each component and ask questions about it as if he didn't understand it. And maybe he didn't, but he doesn't let it get to a point where the conversation is between two intellectuals and your average Joe can't follow along. Although the Drake equation did, I mean, the initial equation proposed actual numbers for those variables. Oh, yes, the equation proposed numbers, and you can still plug your own numbers in. And there's this really cute website that lets you, for both the Drake and my revised equation, plug in some numbers and see what you get. So, yeah. So, okay. So what are, what are, I mean, what are the variables, but maybe also what are like the critical variables? So in my equation, I set out to what are the numbers of inhabited planets that show signs of life by way of gases in the atmosphere that can be attributed to life. I could just walk through the terms. That's sure. simpler. That so probably... the first thing I say is, what are the number of stars available? And it's not that 
those trillions and trillions of stars everywhere. It's what are available to like a specific search. And so, for example, the MIT-led NASA mission TESS is surveying the sky, looking for all kinds of planets, but it can also, it also has stars. It has about 30,000 red dwarf stars. So we just take a number of stars that a given survey can access. So that's what the number of stars is. Then I wanted to know what kind of stars are uh, quiet. A quiet, I called it fraction of those stars that is quiet. In the case of TESS, the way it's looking for planets is planets that transit the star. They go in front of the star as seen from the telescope. But it turns out that some stars are very active, they're variable, and they brighten and dim with time, and that interferes with our observation. I apologize to interrupt. So it's a transiting planet. So you're really looking for a black blob, essentially, that blocks the light. We're looking and, for a black blob that blocks the light. Mm -hmm. And then trying to say something about the size of the planet uh, from the frequency of that black blob's appearance and the size of that black blob, that kind of thing. You know, like I, I was able to follow along with everything in that conversation. He keeps he keeps bringing it back to Earth. And I don't know if he's intentionally doing that or if that's just part of his natural skill as an interviewer. But that's something that I get worried about with these like hyper intelligent people hosting podcasts, right? It's one of the reasons I've shied away from like Eric Weinstein's podcast. I'm going to listen to it at some point because I'm sure we're going to cover it here. But that guy, when I, he's been on like Joe Rogan, that's a super, super intelligent person. And, and I just worry that his podcast would be one of those where... I'm just going to get lost halfway through. Like, he's just going to go over my head and talking about, you know, whatever theory field that they're talking about, and I'll get lost. But surprisingly, with Lex Friedman's podcast, I haven't experienced that at all. Now, granted, I picked a range of, of guests that I thought would be fairly simple or interesting, because, I mean, I'm obviously kind of a space nerd, so listening to somebody talking about exoplanets, I already kind of followed that particular NASA mission, so I was already interested in that. Um, I think that's kind of where he shines. You know, he he... He could potentially leave his viewers behind, and he doesn't. And I really appreciate that. Well, and, and the one thing, and it, kind of going back to the first podcast I saw with Elon Musk, which was a Joe Rogan, which uh, that's quite a while uh, ways back now. But mm -hmm. I definitely got the feeling that you know Elon Musk is very awkward in personal life, um, and he's probably awkward to people unless he's really close to them. I, I suspect there's probably a touch of like Asperger's or autism in there, and Right, I kind of get the right. same feeling from Lex that there might be, and usually these hyper-intelligent people are kind of that way. They are just generally kind of awkward. And of course, that's not all of them, but, um, you know, I think there may be a touch of that Asperger's or autism or something like that, which, you know, that's, that's not a dig or anything. Usually some of the most intelligent people have that kind of, that little bit of touch of that. So Yeah, but, but unlike Musk, I, I would agree with you that Elon comes off a little bit awkward and weird because like his pauses will be really long to the right. point where it feels uncomfortable, where Lex is not like that. He just, he'll talk through whatever he's thinking. So it doesn't feel as weird and socially awkward as Elon Musk can, which is why another reason I'm really interested in listening to that episode, because I was going to ask you if he's interviewed Elon Musk and you already brought it up. So I'm, I'm super interested to listen to that one. Yeah, yeah, and I think it depends on certain guests too. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, like he had he had Jack Dorsey on from Twitter, and I, I just don't. I think that's probably a person who's kind of outside Lex's uh, sphere in in a way, and I don't know how productive that conversation would be. I could be wrong because I haven't watched that one, but I know he has had Jack Dorsey on. Whereas you know Jack Dorsey was on Joe Rogan, and he got grilled pretty hard. Uh, at least the second time he was on Rogan. Uh, but that's just something Lex would, wouldn't do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, 
when he, he's too nice. Yeah, he's too nice. I think <laughs> his best podcast is when he has somebody on there who's kind of a peer in, in a way, right? Um, right. And so it's a much more co- comfortable conversation as opposed to, you know, let's say if he had some kind of, I don't know, it probably never would happen, but getting like a, a some kind of political candidate on his uh, podcast and him asking the hard questions, I don't see that happening. No. So if you're there for those kind of podcasts, that's probably the wrong thing but if you if you're there and you want to learn something new especially you know just look at his guest list uh he's got astrophysicists astronomers mathematicians uh uh just biologists you name it he's got such a wide variety of uh scientists and uh professionals on his show that it's really just a conversation about their work and you know if if you're want to learn something new it's probably a good place to or his his is a good podcast to listen to i would think well, and, and I'm hooked, like, in terms of subscribing to him because he mentioned, I don't remember which episode it was. I think it was the one with Michael Malice. Maybe it was Michael. Malice. I don't remember which one it was I listened to. But he mentioned that he's working on and he's pretty confident he's going to be able to have Putin on as a guest. And Oh, my goodness gracious. I, yeah. I, I, so, I, I must have missed that because I, I don't remember that. But, oh, boy, yeah, that would be. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm hooked because I that episode I want to listen to. And this is how sweet he is. He was like, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's got his, he's got his flaws, you know, he's but but he's still a person and I want to talk to him. You know, he just not that Putin's not a person, but you know what I mean? It just like from his watching him interview Putin is not going to be anything about any you're not going to learn anything from a perspective of like a challenging journalist. You know, you just might learn about Putin's perspective on life in general and communication and people and things like that. Because again, he's not going to get into the political sphere. I mean, even when he was talking with Michael Malice, he let Michael Malice explain his views on anarchism, his views on politics in general. He never really, he seems very apolitical to me, yeah. 100% apolitical, because he doesn't really express a lot of opinions. He just sort of absorbs from his guest when, when it's a political guest. And again, I've listened to exactly one political guest on there, which was Michael Malice. But I get the impression that he's very much... I want to know what you think and I want to learn from you and I will absorb that into my thought process. But he never seems to overtly explain, you know, overtly express an opinion. Now, there was a few times he challenged Michael Miles. He directly disagreed with him on the fundamental view of what people are, right, and how people are because he has a very positive, he's, he believes that deep down, you know, almost all people are good, whereas Michael Malice falls exactly on the opposite end of the spectrum. He's like, deep down, all people are basically animals, you know? So they were truly, truly opposed on that. And he was he was fine with expressing that he disagreed with it. But from a political perspective, talking about anarchy and also the right and the left, and, and I do appreciate hard-hitting journalism. I do appreciate journalists who will really push hard on their guests and challenge them. I don't think there's a lot of that left anymore, if I'm honest. But I also really appreciate somebody like Lex who is positive and open and just, hey, tell me what you think and explain your viewpoint. And I'm here to listen. I think that's super refreshing. Yeah, I, I think that's one thing I really appreciate about him is that I, I do think Lex is rather apolitical. And so even if he has like political guests on, it doesn't really become like a super, I mean, they'll talk politics, but it's not like he's trying to score any points or anything like some political partisans might, uh, which is something I appreciate. He just wants to explore where they are, which, uh, which is one of the reasons why, you know, it's just the Michael Malice one because Michael Malice is definitely kind of outside the norm in terms (laughs) of political stances. Uh, Because Lex isn't really going to try to challenge him on that, but he is going to explore 
how and why the way they, they are. And I, and I do think that's pretty interesting and somewhat refreshing. There's something almost indefinable about why he is such a great host. I think it comes down to the fact, and I, I'm a strong believer in this, a lot of people who are really, really good at what they do um, and or are really intelligent suffer from imposter syndrome. And he definitely falls into that category. I mean, I, I don't remember which episode I was listening to. I think it was the one with Joe Rogan. But he was talking about how he, you know, or it might have been the Michael Malice episode. I don't know. But he was talking about how he feels like he's kind of a noob at this and he really struggles with, yeah, it was the Michael Malice episode because he was talking about how he really struggles with the negative feedback he gets on online, you know, whether it's Twitter or YouTube comments right. or whatever. Right. And I don't know why he hasn't listened to Rogan and just stopped looking at the comments because he needs to. But his perspective of, he clearly suffers from imposter syndrome, which I think is really, really common among highly intelligent people. And so I think that that kind of humbleness about him is another thing that makes him a really good host because he doesn't feel like he needs to be this kind of big bombastic personality for the podcast. And and, and again, some people may find his his delivery, his tone a little bit, mono, it's not monotone really, that's the wrong word. It's just, it's very low key. It's very kind of almost pleasant level. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned that he's kind of even keeled. And that's, and that's how I would describe it. And you would think that would make for a boring podcast host, but it really doesn't. He lets his guests shine. And I think ultimately, that's what makes him a great podcast host. Because if you compare him to someone like a Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan is part of the podcast experience when you're listening to him. He's a character. He's a personality. And he impacts the overall tone of the show, whereas Lex is sort of this, he offers a canvas for his guests to paint on and to, to to really open up about whatever they want to talk about. And he'll prompt them and bring them along, but he never drives the conversation really strongly in a certain direction. Um, so I think it's just a natural skill for him. He may not realize he has that skill, but he's really, really good at that. Yeah, and that's interesting that you mentioned about the imposter syndrome because, you know, like I said, Eric Weinstein, uh, he has a podcast called The Portal. And, you know, this this I, I believe he's a like a polymath type of character. And... He knows he's intelligent, and he's not pompous about it at all, um, but he, he knows he's smart. Right. Uh, he has trouble kind of toning himself down. And I've actually listened to an episode where Eric uh, had his brother Brett on, and I think I understood maybe 5% of what they were talking about. That's exactly what I was um, saying earlier. It's like, that's one thing right. that kind of has made me nervous about that particular podcast. I'm like, I'm going to get lost. <laughs> Right, and, and while I, I don't know like the extent of Lex's intelligence, again, I, I do I do know he's very intelligent. I don't get that feeling at all. Like I said, he's very, it's kind of humbling in a way where he doesn't realize how intelligent he might actually be, mm-hmm. and uh, and again, that's kind of it's kind of refreshing in a way because it, um, I don't know, it, like I said, it's kind of hard to describe. It's just uh, it doesn't come. He doesn't come off like. Uh, you know, some pompous or some ultra smart guy who uses big words because they can kind of thing. Um, he's just he's just a regular guy. The thing is, if you if you didn't know anything about his background, you wouldn't immediately be able to tell that he's very intelligent, right? I mean, let me rephrase right, that. I, know. <laughs> I mean, you, you you wouldn't know that he's like someone a mathematician who just researches AI and MIT, which you know that's pretty lofty. Right. You wouldn't guess that by just listening to him. Yeah, he sounds kind of like an everyday Joe, but in a, but a really sweet kind of humble everyday Joe, and and I think I think a, a big part of that is. You know, I I do get the impression that he's intelligent just because of the way I think he has. I think the key 
The difference with him is he has a high emotional intelligence. A lot of people who mm-hmm. yeah. are mathematicians and or specialize in computer science and engineering and things, they, they tend to have an issue with emotional intelligence. And we talked about, you know, like the spectrum and everything. But I think he actually has a really high emotional intelligence. I think he may struggle to express that, express a certain thought sometimes. And he's, he gets, I think he gets frustrated with finding, I think he wants to be very precise about how he expresses a thought or an idea because he doesn't want to give the wrong impression. But I think, again, that comes back to him being very considerate of his guests. He's very considerate. And, and I think he's almost a little too aware of the volume of people listening to him. Because, I mean, he's averaging mm-hmm. like half a million, you know, 300,000 to half a million people listening to or listening to and or watching his episodes. So I think he's cognizant of that, but not to a point where it's a detriment. I just think it makes him very, he, he's very cognizant of how, of, of what he's trying to say and he wants to make sure he says it correctly and I think it speaks to a higher level of emotional intelligence because ultimately he's very considerate and compassionate yeah, and that's a key kind of part of his personality and it's weird that I I feel like I can say that about him after listening to three episodes plus a couple of his appearances on Joe Rogan I think that's what kind of sets him apart from the Eric Weinsteins the Elon Musks you know he might be super super hyper intelligent but He's super humble <laughs> and he's really yeah. ultimately he wants to make people feel comfortable. I really strongly get that impression from him. And I don't know if that's just because he's that good of an interviewer or or it's just something about the way he communicates that that makes you realize or make you, makes you think at least. I don't I don't know the guy, but it makes you think that he is ultimately very, very considerate both of his guests and of the people that are listening. Yeah, and, and if I had one word to describe this podcast, I would say cozy <laughs> is the word to uh, to describe That's it excellent. because it's just it, you know it's just a it's just a cozy podcast because uh, I mean even even the the and if you watch it on YouTube, it's a very intimate kind of setup. I mean, it's they're very close. It's a very small table, um, so it's uh, yeah, it's just a cozy podcast to listen to or to watch does he record in boston where he's at uh or i'm assuming it's boston right like mit uh, yeah i you know i don't know uh yeah so i think that's where he lives I, I'm, ass, I'm assuming so yeah okay okay yeah i didn't know if he had a studio or if it's like a home studio or what i because i haven't watched the youtube versions at all although i need to i think i think when there's an available video component i think it's good to to experience the podcast that way i mean again i prefer to listen to podcasts you know, audio only, but um, I will certainly pick a few and maybe listen to them um, or watch them on the YouTube app, uh, app just to experience the video component of it. I think overall, I've come away from every episode I've listened to so far, again, it was only three, with a very positive impression of Lex, a positive impression of his guests. And honestly, if Michael Malice, I haven't heard him on other podcasts. I, I've never heard him on Joe Rogan. I'm sure he's not. <laughs> I have a feeling I probably would have a really strongly mixed feelings about him, but I honestly think Lex makes him look good because he he was... That's that's actually a good point. Because he was so considerate of... I I get the impression that Michael Malice is not considerate of anybody because, again, he's very much... He's an anarchist, right? And he's a troll. Um, I don't think he's an evil person. I just think he's very... He's chaotic, neutral, or whatever you would call him. But I feel like even he is getting that vibe off of Lex of goodness and not wanting to like ruin it. You know, <laughs> that's the impression I got. So I think I actually got a more positive impression of Michael Malice. I think I think overall he's an amazing podcast host. He really lets his guests shine. 
and I will absolutely be subscribing to this. So from a verdict perspective, I obviously don't hate it. This one's completely new to me. I I had mixed feelings going in. I thought I wasn't going to love it, but I really, really do. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, I've been listening for a while, so I, I don't hate it as well. So it's uh, will remain in my rotation of podcasts and and you know, and again, I've got somebody to listen to. They're like, I'll pick and choose the guests that will interest me, uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, if I see one that comes up with a guest that I want to hear from, uh, I, it definitely goes into my queue. And we may just have to do a special one-off episode if he gets Putin on, so we can talk about that because that yeah, I think that might that'll be, a good be idea. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be epic. So uh, fingers crossed that actually happens. <laughs> All right, next up is Omnibus, exclamation point. It's the official title. Um, Omnibus is a uh, podcast. It started out as a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network a couple of years ago, right before they were acquired by iHeartMedia, but is now independent. Um, It's hosted by the Jeopardy! Greatest of All Time champion, Ken Jennings, and the lead singer slash writer slash lead guitarist of The Long Winters, John Roderick. I was aware, obviously I was aware of Ken Jennings, uh, and I was, uh, I had heard of John Roderick. Um, I found his band through an episode of Song Exploder, so I knew of both of them when this podcast started up, which is why I started listening. Uh, The conceit of the podcast is that these two are compiling episodes that feature topics, uh, as they describe it, wonders and esoterica, that are sort of a, a digital time capsule. Um, so they, you know, they're addressing people of the future or futurelings as they reference them. It could be not just people, but any kind of hyperintelligent species, whatever, is finding this digital time capsule in the future. Um, and so it can be basically, it's a reason for the two of them to talk about any topic they find interesting, whether it be something in history, something about geography, something about the 70s. They do a lot of topics of pop culture phenomenon of the 70s. Um, cause they're both, you know, firmly Gen Xers. Uh, and so each episode they spend about an hour discussing the topic. The format's a little bit interesting because they, uh, they, oh, they release two episodes a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the Tuesday episode is always a Ken Jennings topic. So he sort of presents the topic and John Roderick offers commentary. And the Thursday episode is a John Roderick episode where it's his choice of topic and he, you know, presents it and Ken offers commentary. And so the episode, the podcast has been around for a couple of years now. It has a pretty good social media following. Uh, they have a Facebook group that's quite active called the the Futurelings, um, but it was all independently started, just kind of genetically or genetically, it organically sort of sprung up. Somebody started as a fan group. And like I said, I've been listening to it since it originally started out. I heard about it when it was launching on the Stuff You Should Know podcast. Um, but I think you have not heard of, or had at least not listened to any episodes prior to this. Um, so I did give you a couple of recommendations of episodes that I particularly liked and I thought were very indicative of the sort of stereotypical Ken episode versus John episode. So what 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 are your initial thoughts after listening to a couple of episodes? My my very first note uh, was that the intro is way too long. It's like a full, <laughs> it's like over a minute long. Um, which I guess is, is just a minor gripe, but uh, it's just something I noticed. I was like, geez, this just keeps going. And um, it's very Doctor Who. Like the music is yeah, very Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah. So <laughs> which I, I like. But yeah. I, and I do really like the concept because, you know, each episode has like a catalog number to it, which um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with the SCP Foundation, um, which is uh, the Secure, Contain, Protect Foundation, which is uh, online. It's kind of like a a description. It's all like it's a fan project kind of thing, where or like a, hmm. uh, where people can go in and submit SCP uh, Foundation stories. It's basically like episodes of X Files. Yes, right? yes, um, I know what you're talking about, and I will give you some context when when you get done. I'll I'll, I'll pipe in with some context around the certificate number and the catalog numbers that they use. But yeah, I do okay. know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so I immediately got that kind of vibe to it, and. Uh, and the first episode I listened to, uh, one thing that really caught me, and I didn't realize this was the Ken Jennings from Jeopardy. I, I had no idea. So oh. uh, I guess it makes kind of more sense now. Um, but uh, <laughs> they have really good chemistry with each other. Um, and uh, and it, doesn't, it definitely doesn't feel scripted, like they have a talking points that they're going through or whatever. It's, it, the conversation between them sounds very organic, but and they're generally pretty good about staying on topic. Uh, as well um although i i will admit like on the london bridge uh, is down it took me a minute to realize exactly what the point of the podcast was because you know the concept <laughs> well it, it, seriously because the the idea of like um the london bridge is down is kind of like i guess uh, a code word saying that the queen has been compromised or the somebody that's you know basically well, the uh, queen has died yeah yeah the queen has died right so right um and then they don't really ever talk about it. I was like, okay, well, Queen hasn't died in a long time, so. Um, but it's more or less talking about kind of declining influence of the crown on the English, uh, on England as a whole, and you know, or the world as a whole. And that's kind of that was kind of the point of the podcast, and I think they had kind of struggled trying to get a, the point across that England's footprint in the world has decreased over her generation uh, or since her rule. Uh, which kind of actually started, you know, with her father's rule. But um, it, it took me a minute to realize, okay, I don't know where they're going with this because I, I couldn't really get a clear indication of it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're actually very engaging hosts, and I really enjoy the back and forth that they have. And like I said, it's very organic and very, uh, and it's just good chemistry. And I will say you've discovered one of the, the primary things, one of the primary running jokes slash themes about the, the Omnibus podcast is that they they don't get to the actual topic at hand. There's been a few episodes where it's 42 minutes in before they actually mention the actual title of the episode. And it's because the title of the episode, while relevant to the topic of the podcast, is not always the topic of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an episode, I think one of their first episodes, if not, it's not their first, because the first was a European starling, but they had an early episode and the title was Defenestration, which is, you know, the, the act of throwing someone out of a window to kill them. But it was specifically about a specific defenestration in history, it, and it was really about that particular is, event history. Is that the technical term for throwing someone out the window? Yes, defenestration. <laughs> okay, learned <laughs> Which something I only today. know because of this podcast, yes. So that's sort of a running joke, is that the topic of the podcast, sometimes it is the topic of the episode. And sometimes it's just a way to talk. It's just a, 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 a tiny bit of the entire topic. So to your point, London Bridges Down, while it does focus on, and I find it to be one of the more entertaining episodes, but it does focus on what are the protocols and what are the things that have already been put into place and have been put into place since the 50s, should the queen die? You know, like what what's going to happen? What's the schedule going to be? 
what are the security proceed? You know, what's the BBC going to do? All that stuff. That's a part of the podcast. But to your point, it's also a more broad discussion about the decline of the British Empire during the reign of Queen Elizabeth and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's very stereotypical of a omnibus episode. So you're you're definitely getting the full experience with that one. Right, right. And uh, one of the funny things from that episode uh, that I felt was didn't age well was that uh, they were talking about um, the marriage of Harry to Meghan, and they're like, ah, "Oh, and it seems like yes. seems like everybody in the uh, uh, in the public, you know, really approves of this marriage." I'm like, "It's all going great." <laughs> that, that didn't age too well. <laughs> I thought the same thing because I listened to it. You know, I, it's been a long time since I listened to that episode. Sorry, when I recommended it because I remember it being very funny. Um, yeah, I was re-listening to it. I was going, oh, that's, that doesn't age very well to your point. Uh, it's not quite the same relationship now. So yeah, no, that was pretty funny. And so, uh, you know, and like I said, I've only listened to a small percentage of their podcast, but it seems like their collection is just, it's kind of just eclectic topics in a way. Um, I'm assuming, do they cover like any like major national you know, tragedies or disasters or anything. I'm sure they've got like a Chernobyl episode or something. No, they really don't. So Hmm. my guess would be if they covered Chernobyl, which they probably will, because John Roderick is, and there's a lot of mispronunciation, mispronunciations that become running jokes or running gags because John Roderick always pronounced Soviet, Soviet, like he puts an L in there for some (laughs) reason. It's just become a running thing. So now he insists on doing it because people made fun of it. But he has kind of a fascination with that era. And they both do because they, they grew up in the 70s. So Cold War topics are really popular with them. So I have no doubt that at some point Chernobyl is going to be an episode, but it's not going to be called Chernobyl. It's going to be called the elephant foot it, category yeah. <laughs> NC50. Yes, exactly. UM80. Exactly. And then it'll be a reason to talk about Chernobyl. So I have no doubt they'll cover it. They have not yet. But. But that's the thing is that most of the time they like they pride themselves on selecting topics that are very esoteric. And sometimes they are legitimately esoteric, which I think the Prison Colon and Nine Accusal episode is a good example of where it's just this one little weird blip in pop culture. I think they actually did an episode on the Rachel, which is, you know, the haircut the that was really popularized oh, right. in the 90s by friends. But it was more of a context like the discussion was really about how television, especially in the 80s and 90s, really kind of impacted pop culture. It was more broad discussion, but it was focused on the Rachel, the haircut. So that's the kind of, that's the way they select their topics. Um, so, so they kind of choose like a specific topic that kind of represents a larger trend. Yes. And it allows them to talk about the broader context around that particular topic. Although in some cases, like the the second one I recommended, it is specifically about that thing. There is some kind of broader discussion around, you know, Italian music in that era, etc. But it, it's really about this really weird song that an Italian... And, and, and honestly, that episode, I guess, would be, if I think about it now, because I haven't listened to it in a while, it would have been about language and the way, it, like, the way Italians or Europeans perceived America in the 60s, right? And I, I guess we should give a little bit of context there. So the second episode I recommended to you was was Prison Colon and Sinai Accusal, which is about a song of the same name that this Italian guy, he was kind of a mid-level Italian pop musician in the 60s, maybe early 70s. And he wrote this song that is it's just gibberish, but it's made to sound like the American language. He basically he doesn't <laughs> understand. He doesn't speak English, but he listens to American English and he writes a song that's basically nonsense sounds. But they sound to him like American English. So it's like listening to what a European thinks American English sounds like. So it's a very fascinating 
from that perspective, it's a fascinating piece of work. I mean, it's a very, it's a catchy song. Did you, did you, I don't know how much of that episode you listened to. I know you said you started it. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's, it's a catchy song. I mean, it's, it, it kind of reminds me of that whole, uh, <laughs> it was a meme for a while, the Troll-A-Lol song, uh, from, I think it was either a Ukrainian guy or something during the, <laughs> during the Soviet era, uh, and he went on stage singing the song, and he had a really good singing voice, but there was no language. It was just him going tra la la the whole thing, and it was yes. like, kind of came out as gibberish, and it ended up becoming this big meme online. Um, and so uh, it, it kind of just made me think of that uh, as yes. a, uh, kind of as a whole, and it's like it's just those one little that one little thing sparks like you know in, in to modern society it would just spark a meme right not really affect exactly culture. well and i guess memes kind of drive culture at this point it seems like you know right. uh but it, that's just kind of what that reminded me of and it's just kind of weird how it's like those small things could really just drive a lot of uh culture pop culture even if it's just for a split second you know it's like kind of like the whole stupid uh is the blush uh, dress blue or black or blue or gold yes. or whatever or white and gold and blue and black uh right. thing. or the yanni so, laurel thing oh yes, god yeah exactly. um so it's kind of <laughs> it, it's kind of like that um and uh it, it's kind of fun to talk about those things in which it's almost kind of there's a there's a couple of uh youtubes uh youtube videos uh by people uh you could probably just go or go to YouTube and search for what does English sound like to a non-English speaker, and it'll just be like, yes. you know, two people sitting at dinner just talking, and it's just kind of babbling to a degree. Um, and it's it reminded me of that. So where yes. it's, they have no idea what English sounds like, but this is what it sounds like to them. Right. It's it's the rhotic R's, like all that stuff that about language that that sets American English apart. That you know, I can't speak it, but I know what it sounds like. And I think this is probably one a really early example of that because, you know, it was late 60s, early 70s, whenever it was. And and the video, I don't know if you've looked up the video for it, but it's amazing. Like, oh, gosh. It is amazing. You have to you have to look at the video because it was one of those variety shows. And it's this guy kind of doing this weird dance, like this kind of hip, thrusty, Elvisy type dance as he's singing it. And then he's got this <laughs> classroom of girls all dressed in miniskirts. And they're sort of chanting along with him, this Prison Colon and Sinai Kiesel thing. So it's like a Robert it's, Palmer video. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then they stand, you know, one of them stands up. He calls on her, again, in this gibberish language. And she stands up and recites something in this gibberish language. It's, it's actually a pretty amazing feat, considering they wrote something that's just nonsense and had to memorize it. But that's the sort of thing that I think this particular podcast does a really good job of is they they find things. I think if you're of that generation, you're probably going to relate to it even more. For me, it's been a lot of discovery because, again, their favorite kind of time period is the 70s, 70s and 80s. And so I'm like at the tail end of Gen X. They're like true Gen Xers from like the beginning to the middle of the Gen X generation. They kind of make a joke about the fact that they bring up stuff in the 70s all the time. And I think the one thing that I discovered listening to this podcast, and I don't know if you got a taste of it in those two episodes, maybe not, is Ken Jennings is legitimately funny. I once said on TV that I was a grammar Nazi and I was asked to do it again and say that I was a grammar cop. Grammar cop. You, you, oh, is that right? And and was that because uh, of the sensibilities of of daytime television, or had the the had the trend already turned? Was there already criticism of of this? That? Was ten years ago, but I think there was some idea that uh, we stay away from. I mean, 
the entertainment industry uh, has a maybe a keener ear for that kind of thing right. due to you know non sinister but definitely present Jewish representation. Hmm. So I feel like there's usually somebody there who's like, well, what if we don't have Nazis? When we did our episode on grammar, did we? Use the term grammar Nazi. Ooh, I don't remember. Uh, un, without, I don't think we would anymore. But nowadays, your grammar probably is a Nazi. She's been on her Facebook page, and uh, <laughs> they turned Gramps and grammar into into literal Nazis. I, if there was a bell that took the sound of the bell out of the universe for a brief second, created like a like a dark silence, I would ring it now. I don't. I just want you to know, you ended the masquerade episode with a pun. No, you did. That's very unlikely. It's the last thing ringing in the audience's ears oh, one week ago today. Oh. Um, he's yeah, he, he's very he good definitely at puns. the Joker of the two for sure. Yes, yes, he's very good at puns. He's very fast at puns. He'll come up with a pun. Actually, I think John Roderick won the pun game or the the in the, um, the London Bridge is Down episode when he said that the code name should be Charles in Charge. Oh, yeah. Instead of London Bridges Town, which was uh, was pretty good for him, but he's usually not the sort of quick witted pun guy. That's and and oftentimes he gets really frustrated by Ken's pun because he hates puns. But Ken Jennings is really good at those. But yeah, I, I the one thing I've taken away from this podcast is Ken Jennings is really funny. John Roderick is very interesting from a life like life experience perspective. The guy is you know, and he's got several other podcasts actually. I think he's the one who talked Ken into doing this podcast. But he's got a few other podcasts, one of which I, I really like. It's called Friendly Fire, where him and two other guys review war movies specifically. That's a good one. It's one we may cover in a future episode. But yeah, I think that their dynamic, I think their chemistry, to your point, is really, really good because they're actually good friends in real life. And that's always a good start for, you know, two podcast hosts. Right, right. Yeah, I, I feel that they, they kind of complement each other. So, and, and I think that definitely works because... You get podcasts where it's kind of just form formulaic in a way uh, between hosts, and it's like, uh. and then um, in podcasts where they're just trying too hard to, to be different from one another. And this kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, cinephiles, where it's just two people who obviously know each other very well and just you know just talking about stuff. Um, and it, like yep. I said, it doesn't sound scripted at all. It doesn't sound um, uh, like it's fully prepared it's like okay we're just going to talk about this and so let's just talk and uh and they go at it and it's uh, and it is very interesting and again you have two very smart people uh who are just very comfortable with each other and it makes for a good listening uh podcast uh and, and they've got a ton of episodes uh, a lot of them yeah. and yeah two a week <clears throat> since i think i think they started in 2017 2018 I can't remember, but yeah, they've got yeah, a lot. Yeah, so it's uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out and just kind of scrolling through for any topics that may seem uh, interesting. Uh, again, with a caveat that it may not be very specifically about that topic, but it could be uh, you know in some way loosely related to it. But just listening them both just talking about it is 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 entertaining, um, and I think uh, that that's one of the attractions I had to it. it was just I, I just like listening to them. Which is uh, usually I'm a person who likes podcasts with like a lot of just straight substance, right? Just I don't care about the people presenting. Just mm-hmm. give me all the facts, all the details. Just give me the, you know, which is why you know in our earlier episode I didn't like hardcore history because it was just so there was so much fluff around the history. Mm-hmm. Whereas and that was more purposeful 
purposeful to be that way, to be dramatic, where these guys, yeah, there's some fluff, they kind of meander a little bit, but what they're still talking about is interesting, and like I said, they're just, they have a really good chemistry with each other, which I, I can appreciate, so they're a little bit more, again, don't go into it expecting to be like fully educated like you would uh, mm. um, like a lecture or something, but uh, right. you know, you may learn something new, but it, the whole goal of it's not for simply education. Yeah, the primary the primary function of this podcast is entertainment. I would classify it as entertainment slash comedy versus, you know, education. While you may yeah. learn some stuff, and I certainly have listening to this podcast, I think um, you know, the the bulk of the time I'm listening to them to to be entertained. I might like I said, I might learn something, but just, you know, Ken Ken Jennings is very funny. John Roderick is also funny in a different way. John Roderick's a very good storyteller. So you know, he'll color a lot of his topics and, and you sort of, what's interesting is based on their topic selections, you start to get a, a an idea of their personalities over time, which it, it, it's interesting to listen to because, you know, John will talk, like I know a lot about John in his 20s and how he kind of hiked across Europe, essentially, he just walked across Europe and he was sort of this hippie, you know, um, I mean, he was in the 90s, he was a gr- more of a grunge than hippie, but and so it's interesting to listen to the two of them. And, and I have to recommend, as a side note, if you don't know who John Roderick is, his music is really good. The Long Winters is a fantastic band. The specific song that I love that I found out about him from uh, is called The Commander Thinks Aloud. And it's about the, um, the Columbia, the, the Columbia uh, shuttle disintegration. And... There's an episode of Song Exploder, which is a hugely well-known podcast about that. And I have to recommend it as a side note. Just anytime I talk about John Roderick, I'm like, go listen to this because it's amazing. But going back to the Omnibus Project, I think for me, the best thing about it is, to your point, they're, they're kind of chemistry back and forth. They have a really good relationship. They have two very different perspectives. Um, and their, their kind of styles are very different. Again, Ken loving his puns and... John despising puns. There is a little bit of uh, something I think you're not a big fan of in podcasts, which is sort of knowing the history of the podcast and having recurring jokes. So like I said, John's pronunciation of Soviet or the references to washing bears, which was an episode they did that became very popular with their fans. There is a little bit of that that sneaks in, but it's it's so minor that I don't think it would impact your listening experience. If you just picked it up from the most recent episode and started listening, I don't think it's going to cause any issues. Yeah. And again, I'm not completely familiar with their catalog, but, you know, I've only listened to a handful of episodes, but I, I never got that feeling, which you're right. That's something I absolutely hate. There's inside jokes that <laughs> started 200 episodes back. Um, yes. And then you have to go to their subreddit and be like, what does this joke mean? I don't get it. And then nobody explains it because they're all in on the joke, um, <laughs> which that happens to me more often than not. So I, I think that uh, says a lot about the fan subculture of the groups that you're talking about, though, because like, yeah. if it's a nice group, they will explain to you, oh, that's a reference to, to mail trucks because they did an episode on it. It became a big thing with their fans. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, again, in... And again, I haven't listened to a ton of it, but you know, I didn't get. It wasn't. I wasn't inundated with it. I feel like some podcast, which uh, you're probably just inundated with that kind of stuff because there's so much banter, and uh, it's you know, for longtime fans, it's great. But otherwise, it really limits the ability for new people to get interested in your podcast. Yeah, and there's some podcasts that rely completely on that. 
I mean, I, I listened to at least two where if you haven't been listening for years, you would you would not be able to listen to current episodes. Like, you would not understand what the heck's going on. Last podcast so, on the left? No, no, oh, okay. not that one, because they have their own topics. And no, uh, I'm thinking of the Unmade podcast and Hello Internet. Um, but, I, you know, I love those podcasts. But, you know, you have to be... If, you're, if you haven't listened to the back catalog, you're going to be completely lost if you're listening to a current episode. You're not going to get 80% of the jokes. You know, it just, it is what it is. And and that's okay. I mean, you know, those podcasts, I think it hurts you getting new listeners if you make the barrier to entry so high, where it's like you have to go listen to 200 episodes before you're going to understand what's going on. Most people are not going to invest that kind of time. And, and the nice thing about the omnibus is you don't have to do that. Even if there are some occasional re- recurring jokes that they reference, it's done in a way that's very subtle and it's it's a it doesn't impact the listening experience at all. I think if you're going to experience that at all, it's going to be in the outro section, which has gotten bigger and longer over time just because now in the outro they'll talk about um, the physical mail they've received. And in some cases that's, you know, referencing prior episodes and or like they have one fan who sends them these beautiful kind of hand painted watercolor postcards that are themed based on you know specific episodes so they'll, they'll mention those and and that sort of stuff you know if you're if you're not following the podcast week to week it may not be you know interesting to you so um i personally like the outros a lot i like their fan engagement but you don't need it the the primary experience of the episodes are listening to the information they provided and something i wanted to call it you said you know it's not very scripted on their uh, patreon they will post um at a certain level, I don't remember which level, but they'll post like pictures of their show notes and they will also sign at another level, they'll sign copies of their show notes and send them to you, like the original copies of their show notes. And when you see their show notes, it is not scripted. It's literally just some chicken scratch about like a few bullet points <laughs> and then and their work. It's completely illegible in most cases, if I'm honest. So you're right. They're not scripted. They just kind of make some mental notes. They do some research. I think it probably takes them 20 minutes because it's usually a topic they're already interested in. And uh, yeah, so and I like the fact that they present the stuff that interests them. So Ken will present something that interests him. John will present something that interests him. Very different styles. And you'll learn over time. Like you can you can pick a topic of an episode and go, that's a John Roderick episode or that's a Ken Jennings episode because they are the different personalities. Right. And, and, you know, speaking of outro, I I will say that their their ads are not very intrusive. I think they have one at the beginning, and then they have a mid-roll ad. Um, and oh. That was, no, at least the episodes so, I listen to, unless yeah. it's changed in the newer episodes. So unfortunately, so uh, and I mentioned that at the beginning because I wanted to call that out. They started out as part of the How Stuff Work ne- Network, How Stuff Works Network, and then that was acquired by iHeart. And so if you're listening to older episodes... The RSS feed for those episodes still includes the insert, the dynamic insert of iHeart ads. So if you hear those kind of ads where it's not the two of them talking, it's it's because it's an old episode. Their new episodes do not have those kind of ads. They'll do an ad break where they're selling merch or they'll do an ad break. And I think it's like one an episode or they'll do an ad. And honestly, they don't even do an ad break for their Patreon that much anymore. They'll just mention it in the outro. So there are no dynamic like pre-recorded ads anymore in their current episodes. So that is just a uh, artifact of their older episodes. And it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. They've tried their best to get those out of their old feeds, but they're not able to fix that problem. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm starting to see a trend here with iHeartRadio. <clears throat> yeah, that it's garbage. Huh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm I'm so strong because there's some great podcasts on iHeartRadio because they acquired them. Uh, most of it's garbage, but, you know, that's my opinion. <laughs> well, so I doubt they'll pick us up now. <laughs> I don't want to be picked up by iHeart. I'm serious. Like, I, I don't, I would not subject listeners to the, the freaking awful ads and no. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some really good mainstream podcasts that are great that are on the iHeart Network. Again, because they acquired, like, Stuff You Should Know is one of the OG, like, podcasts. And it's fantastic, but it suffers from the iHeart ad garbage because it was acquired. I, th- I still think it's a good podcast. I still listen to it. I just, you know, I tolerate the iHeart nonsense. So, yeah, you, you can you can like iHeart podcasts. I'm just going to always mention that I hate their ads because it's not natural. It doesn't feel organic. It's, you know, it's intrusive. It feels like radio commercials. It feels like TV. It feels like you're watching network yeah, TV, TV yeah. in the 80s is what it feels like. And it's awful. I mean, there's a way to make ads a part of the experience of a podcast that's positive and, you know, non-intrusive and... And I will support a podcast by, I mean, I've purchased many things through, you know, and, and supported podcasts that way. But I'm not going to go buy a Lexus because I heard a 30 second commercial on an iHeart podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. You anyway, must not be the demographic then. <laughs> I'm really not. I, I don't know what their demographic is, if I'm honest, but I, I digress. I've sort of went yeah. off on another iHeart rant. <laughs> <clears throat> So, verdict uh, for Omnibus exclamation point. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, obviously, I love it. I'm not, I, I don't hate this podcast at all. And uh, I will continue to listen. Uh, it is in my regular rotation so much that it automatically downloads every time a new episode drops. Uh, yeah, I don't hate it either. Um, I was actually kind of surprised by this because uh, I was, for some reason, I don't know why, I just was... <laughs> I didn't know what to expect after you last recommended last podcast on the left. I was like, oh, man. Uh, but this was way, way, way better. I, I I think right now, last podcast left is like the my worst reviewed one at this point. But uh, this is I don't hate this at all. I, I, I want I would like to have this in my regular rotation, but I think I'll probably keep it on a topic by topic basis. To keep an eye on it. And if there's a new topic, I'll probably cue that up uh that specific episode up um just you know out of just sheer time <laughs> yeah but, if they uh, drop yeah. a really if they drop a really good one i'll be sure to let you know yeah oh yeah. and i meant to say uh there is uh, i'm not going to spoil it but the certificate so the catalog number and certificate number information that they rattle off at the beginning of each episode seems random it's not it's code somebody like a fan figured it out within the first six months uh, I think the certificate number took the longest. Um, and so now if you go to the Facebook group, each time an episode launches, somebody says, oh, here's the corresponding X and Y, you know, thing that this is <laughs> referencing. Um, but yeah, Ken Jennings is a big fan of, of codes and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that, that would make sense for a Jeopardy champion. <laughs> uh, yeah, the guy's a giant nerd. It's great. Um, yeah. So I thought I would mention that. I, I, I meant to squeeze that in earlier. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're big into that kind of code breaky stuff or figuring out references, then then you'll enjoy kind of poking around with that. Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. 
Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details.